0: Amen. Well, good evening. In the middle of the night, we'll pray with confidence. Um, How fitting as we um, are going into this chapter of Esther, chapter 5, and how it is that we're uh, coming out of chapter 4, and that's exactly what they left off with, and that's uh, uh, three days of fasting and um, no doubt praying, seeking the Lord and asking Him um, to fight this fight. So, um, <clears throat> you know, something before we uh, get into the message, though, first of all, I want to remind you that next week we, we do not have a midweek study. So we do not have a study next Wednesday, but we do have a trip scheduled for Joshua Tree. And so for anyone who would like to go, we did it last year, and we're going we're gonna to do it again this year. Uh, we do have directions to Joshua Tree. If you can't meet here at four o'clock and and caravan, carpool um, to Joshua Tree. Uh, And if you'd like to go, we do have that available. It was sent out in the e-bulletin this morning, um, but it's also on uh, social media as well. So we're gonna make sure that everyone um, has it um, if you can't, again, meet up here. But there is a specific entrance to go into and a specific area to meet up at. And last year we had a, a bonfire uh, we had worship. We just had great fellowship, and then uh, last year there was no moon, so we saw all of the stars, and you could literally see the Milky Way. When was the last time you saw the Milky Way? Yeah, I. I what's that? Fifty-five. 55? <laughs> well, I, I. I do remember seeing it. Um, you know it my uncle's ranch out in Winchester in the in the 80s and that was when still the you know the the light pollution was not as bad as it is now and you could actually see it a little bit um, out there in certain areas but you could definitely see it out at Joshua Tree. Uh, It's in this little valley out there and um, it was just absolutely beautiful. So that's what we're doing next Wednesday Uh, The next day is Thanksgiving, so um, we're just going to go out there and thank the Lord uh, and praise His name. Um, Also, I have a question for you. So, there was a trip set up for earlier this year year, to go to Israel. Obviously, as we continue to pray for Israel and everything that's happening there, um, we trust that the Lord, and He is faithful, um, to protect His people and to, um, you know, get it wrapped up as far as the enemies are concerned of Israel. And um, so that's what we're, we're praying uh, for. Um, we are anticipating that um, in 2025, uh, we'll be able to resume going out to Israel. So I'm just going to put it out there now because I know that it's not cheap to go out there. We need to save. And so I'm just telling you that right now we have it penciled in for going in April of 2025. So everyone who wants to go, you need to let me know 2025, and it's going to be uh, open. Um, I'm looking at April 1st through the 10th, seven days on the ground. It's going to be like, it's normally a day and a half travel on both ends. And, uh, and so that's what we're doing. So just let me know. All right. All right. Uh, and we're doing it, uh, I'm heading that trip up. So it's not, we're not going with any other church. And if any churches do go with us, it's going to be smaller ones and still we're the host. Um, and I'm going to be um, the, the main teacher at the various locations um, that we go to. So again, April 1st through the 10th of 2025, mark your calendars and let me know. All right, so, all right, so if you haven't turned uh, in your Bibles yet, turn to Esther chapter five. Esther chapter five. I have to say, praise God for this absolutely beautiful pulpit. Um, in case you haven't noticed it, it's different. Um. I had uh, sent a picture off to some friends of mine who are pastors. And um, so we were just going back and forth about it. And this is, this is what, what I told them. I said, <clears throat> just wanted to share what represents a great responsibility of stewardship, the teaching of God's word. And this is what the pulpit represents. You know, anyone who stands behind this pulpit, I am ultimately responsible for to make sure that those who do teach, um, whether it be here or anywhere else uh, within the church is teaching sound doctrine. And so we should never t- take it lightly. Uh, we shall always understand that the word is central to everything that we do, who we are. Um, we walk um, by the spirit according to the word of God. Um, we, we study to show ourselves approved to God workers who, who have no need to be ashamed, rightly handling or dividing the word of truth. And so that is, that is important. And this is what it's emblematic of, um, the dove of course is the symbol of the Holy spirit. And of course it's a symbol that uh, Calvary chapel has adopted from, from years past and as we are at Calvary Chapel, we, um, our association, our, our fellowship is with Calvary Chapel Association. And, um, and so um, that's also representative of that. But most importantly, the dove represents the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit um, not only indwells us, but comes upon us. And empowers us as we're equipped to, for the work of the ministry um, to carry out the work of the ministry. Um, that our relationships uh, within marriages and friendships and and those amongst the brotherhood and sisterhood here um, are exactly what the Lord would be glorified in and through. And so just every time you see that, you understand that we walk and we rely upon the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the moment we stop doing that is the moment we become religious and are just going through the motions. And so, it's a good reminder of that. So, praise God. Praise God. All right. So, um, Esther chapter 5, we left off, as I said earlier, uh, with Esther calling a three-day fast before going to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people, the Jewish people. Now, Mordecai had brought together all of the Jews in Susa, the capital of Persia, he had brought them all together um, upon Esther's request that he would do so. And Esther and her maidens were, they also, at the same time, they uh, she got them together and they were, they were fasting as well. And so now we arrive at the third day of the facet that she had called and we go into verse one of chapter five. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. We do ask for your blessing, Lord, that you would... Um, Teach us, Lord, that you would help us understand and apply, Lord, what we learned this evening. Lord, as Mandy said, Lord, we we want to know more of who you are, that we may rely more upon you, trust in you, Lord, um, follow you, Lord, and know how to follow you, Lord, as we get to know you better this evening. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Esther chapter five, verse one says on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters. While the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to half of my kingdom. And so as I um, went through and I'm, I'm thinking about Esther, uh, I'm thinking these three w- words pop into my mind. And that's integrity, honor, and courage. Integrity, honor, and courage. The very things that we ought to be encouraged with with this evening as we consider what Esther follows through with. Esther, as we see this, was a woman of her word. Esther had said that she would fast for three days, and after those three days that she would go to the king. Though, and she acknowledged it, though it is against the law, and she said, but if I perish... I perish. No matter what, for Esther, her yes was yes, and she lived up to it. She followed through. There was integrity there, and it was intact. But we need to remember, as we look at these things that Esther followed through with, that Previously, as we look back, as Esther perhaps was even thinking about this when she gave Mordecai some resistance, when he said, you have to go, and he commanded her to go and stand in the gap to intercede on, the, on behalf of her people. Perhaps she thought back to what happened between the king and the previous queen, Queen Vashti. How it was that when she refused to do what the king had commanded her to do, that she was banished. And now, perhaps Esther was thinking, as she is doing something that is unlawful, that she was putting her, her own life on the line. You see, sometimes we quickly identify with Queen Esther, right? We always want to identify with a good guy. We want to identify with the one who has it all together, you know, like uh, Joshua when he's doing well. We definitely don't want to identify with anyone else, but then we need to ask ourselves, do we have this type of courage? Would we act the same way? When we are tested, that is when we are proven one way or another. In fact, Bettina and I were, were talking about this, and I, I bring this up from time to time, how it is that, you know, and, and even a conversation that I was having with a, a friend of mine, um, and I've said it from time to time, you've heard it. That a faith not tested is a faith that is not or should not be trusted. Um, talked about um, burst tests on, on hoses. You know, uh, normally as as I think back about the, the burst tests that had the, the, the hoses that we used for diving had to go through... Uh, one and a half times the the working pressure in order to make sure that they didn't burst under uh, adverse um, situations. You know, so it is with us that it's when we're tested that we're found out whether we have what it takes or we don't have what it takes. We should have the faith. We should have that courage. The beautiful thing with, with us is as God is long-suffering, he doesn't just throw us off to the side when we blow it. Uh, 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what's beautiful, beautiful about our God. It, it's, it's amazing that he is so gracious toward us. Um. He's long-suffering that when we do fall short, we don't believe the whispers of the enemy that tells us to stay down, but we instead listen to the voice of God who tells us that he is the lifter of our heads. He desires that we get up, that we learn from our mistake. That we acknowledge our mistake. We acknowledge our sin. That's confessing, agreeing with God that we have fallen short. But that we get up and we continue to move forward. And when we experience his faithfulness, it's amazing how how our faith increases. Yeah, we should be faithful. We should be courageous. And yet I think we just need to learn and grow trusting in God more leaning into him and clinging to him now for esther the king had not called her into his presence and yet as we see she went in unannounced presented herself to him standing in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters and she presented herself i'm here remember if i perish i perish I know this is unlawful. The king came and sat on his throne. And as he looked up, he saw Esther standing there. You think about just verse 1. Verse 1, as it says, On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarters, While the king was sitting on his royal throne, inside the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace. And you can just imagine, I would imagine, the tension. Mordecai doesn't know what's going to happen. Esther doesn't know what's going to happen. She's not described as being nervous or being anxious. But then again, she has been fasting for three days. Perhaps in this moment, Esther is fully reliant on God in this this present moment. You know, John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. A friend of mine was at a um, council meeting last night in Fontana. I don't know, anyone hear about what happened in council meeting in Fontana last night? Got pretty wild. Um, There were some people who who were provoking the council members, and um, so it just turned into a great big fiasco, and these people were were uh, trying to provoke and so my friend who is also a pastor and and he said it was just an opportunity to witness to him because they asked who are you he says well I'm I'm a pastor I'm and uh in in that moment when they found out that he was a pastor they were yelling obscenities at him and and everything about God and and so he says it was just an opportunity to present the gospel to him and he was telling them, you know, the Lord loves you too and he died for you. He said, you know, you too, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says that you shall be saved. And so he was asking them. And, and they, of course, they were, they were angry. They were, they were just in the flesh. And yet he said he had a peace. And afterwards, people asked him, How was it that you stayed so calm throughout that time? And he said, I just was trusting in the Lord. I was just thinking, Man, this is a, a great time to just present the gospel to him. <laughs> probably made him more mad, is what, what happened. But for him, there was this, this peace about him. And that's what he was telling me this afternoon. There was just this peace. Anything you know, about Joshua? How was it when the people of Israel, a couple million, were handed over to him? He was given the mantle and he was about to go into the promised land. And how how it was that God said to him in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This was a command by God. It wasn't... It wasn't a suggestion. He commanded him, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Jesus said in Matthew 28:20, 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How is it that we let our hearts be troubled? And and do we have control over our fears? Because this is what this is implying. By the commands that we have received by God, how it is that God commanded Joshua to not fear, not be dismayed, but be courageous. That is implying that we ourselves let our hearts be troubled. We ourselves have control over our fears. Otherwise, God could not justly command us to not be frightened and not be dismayed. You see, the key, if you haven't jotted it down already in the verses that we read, is acknowledging and believing that God is with us wherever we go. He's with us. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm anxious. Well, God says, don't be. And he can say that, not because he's insensitive, but because he knows. He knows the Holy Spirit who indwells you. He knows that you can possess that peace that surpasses all understanding. He knows that he is faithful. Instead, what we ought to do is we consider Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is pray and supplicate. You know, the moment you begin to say you can't, uh, I'm afraid, I don't know what's going to happen, when you catch yourself saying those things, instead of doing that, why don't you resort instead to just praying and supplicating? Because this prevents you from making excuses, but rather it, it puts your trust in Jesus Christ. You rely upon him. And then in that moment, you earnestly ask or beg him to provide you with what is needed in that moment. Like you get your mind and your heart on him in that moment. To be anxious, you see, is, is to worry. It's, a, it's a, an inner um, feeling of being uneasy, nervous. And that's actually the opposite of trusting and relying upon something or someone. And the someone that we are referring to is Jesus. But when we pray, what we're doing in that moment is expressing trust in God. Otherwise, we would not ask him. And then with thanksgiving, we're praying, we're supplicating with God. And then we do it with thanksgiving, and we're letting our requests be made known to him. You see, instead of telling other people that will only encourage us in our anxiety and worry and stress and nervousness and all of that, don't tell them. Like if they, if, if they encourage you in that, oh, yeah, 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 I, I'm that way too. Now go to someone who is actually filled with courage. Go to someone who's where you want to be. Like I I know that so-and-so has faith in the Lord and I want to call that person. And then we can pray, we can come together. And perhaps they can teach me how to pray and supplicate. And at the same time with thanksgiving and then request God to give me what, what is necessary in that moment. Because when you know that God will supply all your needs Then you can pray and supplicate with thanksgiving. You're anticipating that God will give you what you need. This is why Paul could write this to the Philippians in Philippians 4.19, where he said, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's he could say that because he knew that personally. And we're not talking about wants, we're talking about actual needs. So make those requests to God. Does he already know? Yes, he does. The question is do you know your own needs? Because sometimes we, we think we know until we start praying, we know his word, and then he reminds us in the, in the middle of the prayer oh yeah. Those aren't needs, those aren't just wants. But what I need, you will supply me with that. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. The moment you literally put your trust in him, he promises to give you his peace. A peace that is not something that is, is uh, understandable. Something that is logical. In fact, it's, it's something that's beyond that in the moment. It surpasses all understanding. In this moment, I shouldn't be at peace. I shouldn't be okay, but what God supplies is supernatural, it's divine, it's by the power of the Spirit, and he gives us this peace that surpasses all understanding. This is someone's scene in a child that trusts his parents for those things that they need, even, you know, as I, as I think back about my own boys and how, I, I remember um, standing them on the side of the pool, and then, you know, you tell them, oh, jump in, and at first they're normally uh, apprehensive. They don't want to jump in. They don't know how to swim, and, you know, but after a while, you know, they jump in, and dad, you do hold on to them and keep them above water, and after a while, they trust you so much that they're jumping in, and Jumping in times when you don't want them to jump in, but, you know, but they trust you because they believe that you will hold them up. Do you believe that God will do the same thing? See, the more you step out on faith, in faith, and and you see his faithfulness and how he can supply you with everything that you need, the next time you do it less reluctantly. You do it with greater faith, knowing that you can trust him. How much anxiety did you feel driving here today? Anyone? You guys seem to be okay. Did you trust your car would hold up? Wouldn't fall apart at speeds greater than 30 miles per hour? Listen, there are things that we trust every day, every day. How much more should we trust in God? How much more should we trust in him? Do you believe he is with you? That is enough and that he will supply all of your needs. It is this peace that you have in God that will then serve to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Again, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and that's what I'm breaking down for us which means that it will serve as a protective covering while you abide in Christ, trust in Him, dwell with Him, have fellowship with Him. It's the peace of God that guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, remaining close to Him by submitting your heart and your mind to Him, your heart and your mind, and not submitting to those thoughts and feelings that make you not trust him. In other words, his peace demands that you have discipline in your thoughts. It doesn't just happen. His peace demands that you have discipline in your thoughts and feelings, not allowing them to rule over you, but that you conscientiously allow Jesus to rule over you, that you submit to him. It's one or the other. It can't be both trust and worry cannot live in the same heart. Again, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The day in which we live has so much anxiety and worry. And we must acknowledge that this is not what the child of God should live in but rather in the peace that God gives, the peace that surpasses all understanding. If you're still trying to get a peace in your own strength, in your own knowledge, sometimes we think if we just gain more knowledge, no, 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 you just have to trust. It's again going back to that child, jumping off the the edge of the pool, going into the pool. How much knowledge does that child need to know about the pool? Zero, right? The only thing that that child needs to trust in is the one who is going to catch him. That's it. More psychology. Maybe we can trust in them. They can explain it to us. And then we'll we'll have confidence and we'll have a peace. No, 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 that'll come and go. I've spent some time in that because I think it's important. Because I see too many people filled with anxiety and worry, and it shouldn't be that way. For the child of God, we should be walking in his peace, completely trusting in him. Though the world around us falls apart, the child of God should remain steady, unmoved, with our eyes fixed. Upon Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Esther was expressing a peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding as she did not allow any anxiety. There's nothing noted here or worried to keep her from doing what she needed to do. It didn't paralyze her. It didn't hold her back. Nothing held her back. In three days, she said, three days, let's fast. And in three days... Although it is unlawful, and if I perish, I perish, I will go to the king. And she was there, standing before the king. Nothing was going to stop her from doing what she needed to do. And keep this in mind, she didn't have to have anyone holding her hand. She stood there by herself. Waiting. Hoping not in the king, hoping in her God. Well, we know that she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter in his hand, and Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. The king lowered the scepter. The king knew in that moment that she was there for something important. Otherwise, She would not have risked her life. And as he approved of her presence, he asked her what she wanted. What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Verse 4. And Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther... Had prepared. Esther demonstrated that she was indeed at peace, being able to, to think. How, much, how often, you know, we're put into a, a stressful situation. And it's happened to me to where we're in a stressful situation, and it seems like, man, we lose our mind. It's like we can't think of one word to speak, right? It's like, I know this, I know. And in fact, after the fact, you can talk to other people and like you're telling them, yeah, I knew what to say and I just I couldn't say it. I just totally blanked out. Because you were so overwhelmed. Just with, with worry, with stress and uh, the pressure. And yet, Esther was able to think clearly when she was asked by the king, discerning that this was not the moment to lay everything out to the king. She demonstrated, by doing this, she demonstrated wisdom. Just keep in mind, it's not just blurting things out is the right thing to do. And and for Esther in this moment, it was not the time to, to just lay it all out to the king. And so she expressed, she demonstrated wisdom, the ability to judge the situation and see how this would work out if she... Exercise, patience, and trust that Haman would eventually show himself for who he was, a wicked man. Eventually, the mouth opens and spills the contents of the heart. Luke 6.45 says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart... His mouth speaks. We know that Haman was filled with pride. And his heart was filled with murder as well. He had this in his heart and it had already come out. What he had schemed. Now it was a matter of it being exposed to the king. Esther requested that he and Haman come to a dinner that she was going to prepare for the king. And they came. If Esther did have fear. In that moment. She was not driven by it. You know it's not the. The absence of fear. But. It's the discipline. Of mind. And heart. To act. In spite of fear. It's to. To be filled with something greater than your fear that will cause you to act on those things which are right. She was not driven by her fear, but rather by a peace that surpasses all understanding, a divine discernment, a humble confidence that was in line with God's sovereign will. And Esther was mindful of her words. James 3 2 says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. You ever heard people say, Hey, listen, this is who I am. I speak what's on my mind. You ever heard people say that? I speak what's on my mind. I see how people will solicit the support of others as they speak their own mind as well. Where I see it most is you all see it as well. You all see it on on social media, don't you? Very, very courageous on social media. But it's often... It's the people who speak their own minds and just have no care. It's not like Esther. She was wise. Right? She was discerning. It's not the time nor the place. She would speak to the king, but that was not the time. She was showing that, that restraint, that discipline, that wisdom. But I see many people on social media that are very unwise, foolish in the things that they, that they say, and it's public. It is public. In, in a moment, we'll see something similar played out with Haman's wife and friends. Listen, do you speak what's on your mind without thinking whether it's right or wrong? This is why we ought to be careful, right? We, we, ought, we ought to... Um, uh, express some discernment and discipline and wisdom in what we say. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We need to be careful about what we're thinking or what we allow to ruminate in our minds. We need to take those thoughts captive because eventually, as it says in James, those thoughts will become the very words that come out of our mouth. And they guide us. They'll either guide us on the right path that is lit up by the word of God or It'll take us off course into destruction. Again, Luke 6.45 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Well, let's take a lesson from Esther. She was wise. She not only thought before she spoke, but then when she did speak, it was the right thing at the right time. Verse 6 says, And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you, and what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is if I have found favor in the, in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, Let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do, as the king has said. So it was now the next day, right? As we read there, and not only in in verse 6, but previously in in verse 5, as we're coming into this section, they had already, the king had agreed. They were at that feast, and now they were were, uh, drinking, and they were just, kind of sitting there, and she hadn't said a thing. And the king said to Esther, what is your wish? Now, we do have to note, Esther did not promise the king that she would tell him her request on that day. And so, um, you know, we do need to consider that. So she didn't, She didn't go back on her promise because there was no promise there to tell the king what she wanted to tell him on that day. But the king did try to persuade Esther to tell him what she wanted. In in fact, even offering up to half his kingdom. But we need to understand this isn't the literal offering of half the kingdom. It was a proverbial expression of the day. You know, hey, listen, I'll I'll give you anything. Just tell me. Just tell me what it is that you... That you want. And in her wisdom, again, Esther discerning that this was not the time, she actually invoked a favor that she had found with the king, and this further established his trust in her by restating her initial request for the king and Haman to come to yet another banquet. And then at that time, she did agree to tell him if you come to that, I will tell you. Of course, at this point, it's like the king was sitting on the edge of his seat, right? <laughs> like, okay, Esther. But at the same time, she was disciplined enough to hold it back until just the right moment. Well, there's a little bit more that needs to happen, you see. In between the time that she is in, at, in this moment and the time that she reveals it to the king... There's something that needs to happen. We're going to see it in, in a moment here. Because we've already seen how she was courageous enough to approach the king. Willing to put her life on the line. Still others may suggest that Esther didn't have enough courage on that day to tell the king what Haman had schemed. She, didn't just, she just didn't have the courage. But I don't read that in here. All I read about Esther is that she was courageous. Courageous. Woman of integrity, of honor, and filled with courage. I don't see anything here that would tell me that she was, she was fearful. If I perish, I perish. This, this was her statement going into this. But as we think about ourselves, perhaps, you know, we could think maybe she regretted not telling the king on this day. Because sometimes we question ourselves after the fact, don't we? Ah, Maybe I should have. What we do know is that God had his sovereign plan. And it was God that was working it all out according to his will. Even allowing Haman to do one more thing that would serve as his own object of judgment. Give one enough rope and one will hang himself. This is what was happening with Haman. Time and testing only proved what was truly in his heart. Verse 9 says, And Haman went out that day, joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. We'll stop there. Haman was a miserable man. This was a man who sought the approval of everyone else. And yet one man who refused to bow down and pay homage to him set him on a course to kill tens of thousands of people. This man was insecure, unsettled and unsatisfied. That's a dangerous combination. Anyone who is insecure, unsettled, unsatisfied, oh well, anything could set them off. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 1, The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, saying, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved." Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He is an unhealthy, he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind. And deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. You see, it's a man like that, it's a person like that who cannot be moved. A person like that is not insecure, is not unsettled. Is not unsatisfied, but is rather secure, settled, and satisfied at peace with the Lord. Philippians four eleven, the apostle Paul knew this very well. He said, "Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Not some situations. All situations." I have I have if I don't have I don't have if I have health wonderful if I don't have health praise the name of the Lord he was the one that said to live as Christ to die is gain Philippians 121 to live as Christ it's all for his glory to die oh that's gain because I get to be with him for all eternity he was satisfied in the Lord content Godliness with contentment is great gain. Haman was not this man. Haman was not content. And his restraint in the moment only demonstrated more of God's authority over the situation. You know, in Haman's heart, he wanted to do something in that moment. And yet he was restrained. This was not Haman's moment to do as he willed. The Lord has his, his, had his will to do. You see, everything was being set up for his own fall. He was a man filled with pride, arrogance. He was full of himself. So Haman went and got his wife and friends, recounting how great he was. He was bolstering his own ego. This is what happens when you need people to surround you and tell you, oh, no, 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 you're, you're good, you're good, you're good. He had mentioned the special VIP banquet that he had just attended with the king only. It was just me that went with the king. And by the way, I'm going to attend another banquet tomorrow, just me and the king. But this was not shared because he was rejoicing about the amazing blessings of being where he was in the kingdom. But because he needed others to affirm him. If ever we need other people to affirm us other than God. We need a question. We need a question of where we stand. Verse 13 as he was still speaking about all this, and he was, he was boasting about it all, he said this, Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. I could just imagine him just seething with anger. Then his wife Zeresh and all, her fr- all his friends said to him, Let a gallows 50 cubits high be made. And in the morning, tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman. And he had the gallows made. There's another saying. Misery loves company. Misery loves company. This means that unhappy people like to share their troubles with other unhappy people. Misery loves company. You ever done that? I've been guilty of that. I'm unhappy, you're unhappy. Let's go complain. (laughs) Let's go make ourselves feel better. Misery loves company. And hopefully that's, that's not who you surround yourself with. These are the things that we... That we acknowledge, by the way. You know, we're reminded of these things. And, and if we do catch ourselves doing these things, right? Then, then we immediately, we acknowledge them. We confess, right? And then we repent. That means we don't do it anymore. We, we turn the other way. We, so we start trusting the Lord. We, we look at Philippians 4.8 and that's what we think on. Because those are thoughts we're thinking on. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, but he has. Consider him. Philippians 2 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition. Or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Be careful. Be careful what you're accusing someone else of. Because oftentimes I've seen that it is the very thing you're guilty of. When you're trying to take the splinter out of your brother's eye, take note of the telephone pole in your own. Right? Because that's oftentimes what has happened. Doesn't mean not to judge the matter. I'm not saying that because we are to judge a matter. But make sure that you yourself are in the right place. Well, Haman was full of himself and said, and he confessed this as long as Mordecai was alive, nothing mattered. Everything that he had just said, it was worth nothing to him. At that point, his whole mission in life was the ending of this man's life. Have you ever met someone like that? It's like, my goodness. So the only thing that matters to you is to end that person's reputation or to take that person down or like that's, that's what you're all about. This is what Haman was all about. Taking Mordecai down. Ending his life. Haman was miserable and set on destroying one man, even if it meant destroying thousands of other people. Think about that. I don't care. I don't don't care if everyone else goes down with him. So be it. I want Mordecai out. But you want to know one thing? It wasn't Mordecai. That was the issue. Because it would be something or someone else if it wasn't him. It was his own heart. It was his his own heart. Once that person, the object of their wrath, whoever it is that they're going after, after they're done with them, they'll go on to someone else and then to someone else. Because it's not a matter of the person that they're going after, it's a matter of their own heart. Ecclesiastes 12 13 says the end of the matter all has been heard fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man listen Solomon figured out everything else is vanity the world has nothing that will satisfy only God satisfies fully the problem with Haman is that he was looking for other things to satisfy him to bring him contentment it was all empty And because Haman has no discernment, he freely accepted the counsel of his wife and friends, who instead of confronting his own heart, told him, hey, have a gallows 50 cubits. In other words, that is equivalent to 75 feet tall. Have one of those made, and then hang Mordecai on that, and then go to your feast tomorrow. Oh, sounds like a great idea, great counsel. How wicked. The way this was done, by the way, it is the gallows. Is this was a stake that was literally. And this is this is the wickedness that I'm going to describe. While a person is still alive, it was driven between the legs through the body, and out the neck while they're alive. And then it was propped up, 75 feet, for all to see. Cruel, violent, but this is a picture of hatred, anger, vengeance, malice, All of this will make a person cruel, irrational, and violent in their thinking and in their actions. Guard your hearts. Careful, don't don't allow bitterness to take root. Anger, malice, don't let it. It's only going to affect you. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. We have lessons that we have learned in the integrity, honor, and courage of Esther. But we also see Haman. And we ought to take note and make sure that we don't fall into those types of behaviors Undisciplined thoughts that lead to undisciplined actions that only bring destruction and death. It's his heart that drove people to hang Jesus on the cross. Let it not be the heart that we have. And if we do, let us confess to the Lord. Repent and ask that he would forgive us, that he would give us a new heart. That's what he desires to do. Father, we come to you, Lord, and and ask that you would forgive us, Lord, of any thoughts that are not glorifying to you, honoring to you. Lord, if there's any malice, uh, Father, drive it far from us. Lord, we, uh, we repent of that and give it to you. Lord, we thank you that, as I mentioned from the very beginning, we thank you that you are long-suffering, you are so gracious. Lord, if we if we humble ourselves before you and we confess those things, those things, those sins, Lord, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, let us instead be courageous and filled with integrity and honor before you, like Esther. That we, although we stand by ourselves, we would stand and do The right thing we would stand in the truth we would stand with you so father thank you for your word and I ask lord that you would remind us of these things in those moments that we need to recollect these things that we would be disciplined in our thoughts and disciplined in our actions to bless and honor you because we love you And we are empowered to do so by your Spirit. So we thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.